Hello, and welcome to Bun Bun's Book Club, a podcast where I read various books and discuss them to listeners. In today's episode, I'll continue on my Greek mythology series, Where I Left Off, The Golden Age. So, join me as I hop right in. The Golden Age of Cannibalism At first, Kronos wasn't so bad. He had to work his way up to being a complete slime bucket. He released the Elder Cyclopes and the Hundred-Handed Ones from Tartarus, which made Gaia happy. The monstrous guys turned out to be useful, too. They had spent all their time in the Abyss learning how to forge metal and build with stone. I guess that's pretty much all there was to do down there. So in gratitude for their freedom, they constructed a massive palace for Kronos on top of Mount Othrys, which back then was the tallest mountain in Greece. The palace was made from void black marble. Towering columns and vast halls gleamed in the light of magical torches. Kronos' throne was carved from a solid block of obsidian, inlaid with gold and diamonds. Which sounds impressive, but probably wasn't that very comfortable. That didn't matter to Kronos. He could sit there all day, surveying the entire world below him, cackling evilly. <laughs> mine. All mine. His five Titan brothers and six Titan sisters didn't argue with him. They'd pretty much staked out their favorite territories already. And besides, after seeing Kronos wield that scythe, they didn't want to get on his bad side. In addition to being king of the cosmos, Kronos became the titan of time. He couldn't pop around the time stream like Doctor Who or anything, but he could occasionally make time slow down or speed up. Whenever you're in an incredibly boring lecture that seems to take forever, you can blame Kronos. Or when your weekend is way too short. Yep, that's Kronos too. He was especially interested in the destructive power of time. Being immortal, he couldn't believe what a few short years could do to a mortal life. Just for kicks, he used to travel around the world, fast-forwarding time, the lives of trees, plants, and animals, so he could watch them wither and die. Rough, right? He never got tired of that. As for his brothers, the four who helped with the murder of Ornus were given the four corners of the earth. Which is kind of weird, since the Greeks thought the world was a big flat circle like a shield. So it didn't really have corners, but whatever, turtles all the way down. Krios was the titan of the south. He took the ram for his symbol since the ram constellation rose in the southern sky. His navy blue armor was dotted with stars. Ram's horns jutted from his helmet. Krios was the dark, silent type. He could stand down there at the southern edge of the world, watching the constellations and thinking deep thoughts. Or maybe he was just thinking he should have requested a more exciting job. Koyos, the titan of the north, lived at the opposite end of the world, obviously. He was sometimes called Polis, because he controlled the Northern Pole. This was way, way, way before Santa Claus moved in, kids. Way before. 
Coeus was also the first Titan to have the gift of prophecy. In fact, Coeus literally means question. He could ask questions of the sky, and sometimes the sky would whisper answers. Creepy? Yeah, kinda. I don't know if he was communing with the spirit of Oranus or what, but his glimpses of the future were so useful that other Titans started asking him burning questions like, What's the weather going to be like on Saturday? Is Cronus going to kill me today? What should I wear to raise dance? That kind of thing. Eventually, Coyos would pass down the gift of prophecy to his children. Hyperion, Titan of the East, was the flashiest of the four. Since the light of day came from the East every morning, he called himself the Lord of Light. Behind his back, everyone else called him Cronus Light, because he did whatever Cronus told him. And it was basically like Cronus with half the calories and none of the taste. Anyway, he wore blazing golden armor that was known to burst into flames at random moments, which people kind of made fun of him at parties. His counterpart, Iapetus, was more laid back, being the Titan of the West. A good sunset always makes you want to kick back and chill. Despite that, you didn't want to get this guy mad at you. He was an excellent fighter who knew how to use a spear. Iapetus literally means the piercer. And I'm pretty sure he didn't get that name by doing ear piercings at the mall. As for the last brother, Oceanus, he took charge of the outer waters that circled the world. That's how the big expanses of water bordering the earth came to be called oceans. It could have been worse if Iapetus had taken over the waters today. We'd kind of be talking about the Atlantic Iapet, or sailing the Iapet blue, and that just doesn't have the same ring to it. Now, before I turn to the six lady titans, let me get some nasty business out of the way. See... Eventually, the Guy Titans started thinking, Hey, Dad had Gaia for a wife. Who are we going to have for wives? Then they looked at the Lady Titans and thought, Hmm, I know, you're screaming gross. The brothers wanted to marry their own sisters. Yeah, I find that pretty disgusting myself. But here's the thing. Titans didn't see family relationships the same way that we do. First off, like I said before, the rules of behavior were a lot looser back then. Also, there weren't many choices when it came to marriage prospects. You couldn't simply log into titanmatch.com and find your perfect soulmate. Most important, immortals are just different from humans. They live forever, more or less. They have cool powers. They have ichor instead of blood and DNA. So they aren't concerned about bloodlines not mixing well. Because of that, they don't see the whole brother-sister thing in the same way. You and the girl you might like might have been born of the same mom, but once you grew up and you were both adults, you wouldn't necessarily think of her as your sister anymore. That's my theory. Or maybe the Titans were all just kind of freaks. I'll let you be the decider of that. Anyway... Not all the brothers married, all the sisters, but here's the rundown. The oldest girl was Thea. 
If you wanted her attention, all you had to do was wave something shiny in her face. She loved sparkly things and bright scenic views. Every morning, she would dance with happiness when daylight returned. She would climb mountains just so she could see for miles around. She would even delve underground and bring out precious gems, using her magic powers to make them gleam and sparkle. Thea is the one who gave gold its luster and made diamonds glitter. She became the titan of clear sight. Because she was all about bright and glittery, she mar- ended up marrying Hyperion, the Lord of Light. As you can imagine, they got along great. Though, how they got any sleep with Hyperion glowing all night and Thea giggling, shiny, shiny, I don't know. Her sister Themis, totally different. She was quiet and thoughtful and never tried to draw attention to herself. Always wearing a simple white shawl over her hair, she realized from an early age that she had a natural sense of right and wrong. She understood what was fair and what wasn't. Whenever she was in doubt, she claimed that she could draw wisdom straight from the earth. I don't think she meant from Gaia, though, because Gaia wasn't really hung up on right and wrong. Anyway, Themis had a good reputation among her brothers and sisters. She could mediate even the worst arguments. She became the titan of natural law and fairness. She didn't marry any of her six brothers, which just proves how wise she was. The third sister, Tethys, and I promise this is the last T name for the girls, because even I'm getting confused. She loved rivers, springs, and fresh running water of any kind. She was very kind, always offering her siblings something to drink. Though the others got tired of hearing that the average Titan needs 24 large glasses of water a day to stay hydrated. At any rate... Tethys thought of herself as the nursemaid for the whole world, since all living things need to drink. She ended up marrying Oceanus, which was kind of a no-brainer. Hey, you like water? I like water too! We should totally, totally go out. Oh, but everything was so great! What could possibly go wrong? That's exactly what the Earth Mother Gaia thought. She was so pleased to see her kids in charge of the world, she decided to sink back down into the earth for a while and just be, well, the earth. She'd been through a lot. She'd had 18 kids. She deserved a rest. She was sure Kronos could take care of things and be a good king forever and ever. Yeah, right. So she lay down for a quick nap, which in geological terms meant a few millennia. Meanwhile, the Titans started having kids of their own, who were second-generation Titans. Oceanus and Tethys, Mr. and Mrs. Water, had a daughter named Climbing, who became the Titan goddess of fame. I'm guessing she was into fame because she grew up at the bottom of the ocean where nothing really ever happened. She was all about gossip and reading the tabloids and catching up on the latest Hollywood news. Or she would have been if Hollywood had existed. Like a lot of folks who are obsessed with fame, she headed west. She ended up falling for the titan of the west, Iapetus. I know, he was technically her uncle. Disgusting. But like I said before, the titans were different. My advice is to not think about it too much. Anyway, 
Iapetus and Climene had a son named Atlas, who turned out to be an excellent fighter and also kind of a jerk. When he grew up, he became Cronus's right-hand man and main enforcer. Next, Iapetus and Climene had a son named Prometheus, who was almost as clever as Cronus. According to some legends, Prometheus invented a minor life form you may have heard of, humans. One day he was just messing around at the riverbank, building stuff out of wet clay, when he sculpted a couple of funny-looking figures similar to the Titans, only much smaller and easier to smash. Maybe some blood of Ornus got into the clay, or maybe Prometheus breathed life into the figures on purpose. I don't know. But the clay creatures came to life and became the first two humans. Did Prometheus get a medal for that? Nah. The Titan looked on humans the way we might look on gerbils. Some Titans thought humans were kind of cute, though they died awfully quick and didn't really serve any purpose. Other Titans thought they were repulsive rodents. Some Titans didn't pay them any attention at all. As for the humans, they mostly just cowered in their caves and scurried around trying not to get stepped on. The Titans kept having more baby Titans. I won't mention all of them, or we'll be here for as long as Gaia napped. But Koyos and Phoebe, the prophecy couple, had a girl named Leto, who decided she wanted to be the Titan protector of the young. She was the world's first babysitter. All the dad and mom Titans were really happy to see her. Hyperion and Thea, Mr. and Mrs. Shiny, had twins named Helios and Selene, who were in charge of the sun and the moon. Makes sense, right? You can't get much shinier than the sun and the moon. Helios would drive the chariot of the sun across the sky every day, even though it got terrible mileage. Helios thought he looked pretty hot, and he had an annoying habit of calling the sun his chick magnet. Selene wasn't quite so flashy. She drove her silver moon chariot across the sky at night and mostly kept to herself. Though the one time she did fall in love, it was the saddest story ever. But that's a story for later. At any rate, one particular Titan wasn't getting married or having kids. Namely Kronos, the lord of the universe. He just sat on his throne at the palace of Mount Orthrus and got very, very grumpy, watching everyone else have a good time. Remember that course, Oranus warned him about that someday Cronus's own kids would overthrow him. Cronus couldn't get that out of his head. At first he told himself, well, no biggie. I just won't ever get married or have kids. But it's a pain to be your own when everyone around you is settling down and starting families. Cronus had earned the throne fair and square, but that curse took all the fun out of chopping up his dad. Now he had to worry about getting overthrown while everyone else got to enjoy the good life. Unfair. His relatives didn't visit him anymore. Once Gaia went back into the earth, they stopped coming by the palace for Sunday dinner. They said they were busy, but Cronus suspected that his brothers, sisters, nieces, and nephews were simply just scared of him. He did have his father's temper and sense of cruelty. His scythe was intimidating. Plus, he had the slightly off-putting tendency to scream, I'll kill you all, when someone made him mad. But that was his fault? 
One morning, he really snapped. He woke up to a cyclops hammering on a piece of bronze right outside his bedroom window. Seven in the morning, on a weekend. Kronos had promised his mom he would free the Elder Cyclopes and the Hundred-Handed Ones from Tartarus, but he was getting really tired of these ugly relatives. They'd become more and more disgusting as they grew up. They smelled like porta-potties. They had, like, zero personal hygiene, and they were constantly making noise, building things, hammering metal, cutting stone. They'd been useful for building the palace, but now they were just plain annoying. Kronos called Atlas and Hyperion, and a couple of his other goons. They rounded up the Cyclopes and Hundred-Handed Ones and told them they were going to go for a nice drive in the country to look at wildflowers. Then they jumped the poor guys, wrapped them in chains again, and tossed them back into Tartarus. If Gaia woke up, she wouldn't be happy. But so what? Kronos was the king now. Mom would just have to deal with it. Things were much quieter at the palace after that, but Kronos still had a major case of the grumpies. It wasn't fair that he couldn't have a girlfriend. In fact, he had a particular girl in mind. Secretly, he had a crush on Ray. She was gorgeous. Every time the Titan family got together, Kronos stole glances at her. If he noticed any of the other guys flirting with her, she would pull them aside for a private, private conversation with his scythe in hand and warn them to never do it again. He loved how Ray laughed. Her smile was brighter than Helios's chick magnet, uh, I mean the sun. He loved the way her dark curly hair swept her shoulders. Her eyes were as green as meadows, and her lips, well, Kronos dreamed about kissing those lips. Also, Ray was sweet and kind, and everyone loved her. Kronos thought, if I had just a wife like that, my family wouldn't fear me quite as much. They'd come to the palace more often. Ray would teach me to be better Titan. Life would be awesome. But another part of him thought, No, I can't get married because of that stupid curse. Kronos grumbled in frustration. He was the king of the freaking universe. He could do whatever he wanted. Maybe Oranus had just been messing with him and there was no curse. Or maybe he could get lucky and he wouldn't have kids. Note to self, if you're trying not to have kids, don't marry a lady who is the titan of motherhood. Kronos tried to restrain himself, but finally he couldn't stand it any longer. He invited Ray to a romantic dinner and poured out his feelings. He proposed to her on the spot. Now, I don't know if Ray loved the guy or not. If she didn't, I imagine she was too afraid to say so. This was Kronos, the crooked one after all. The dude who had killed their dad. The king of the freaking universe. It didn't help that the whole time they ate dinner, his scythe was resting on a hook on the wall right behind him. Its blade gleaming in the candlelight like it was still covered in golden ichor. Ray agreed to marry him. Maybe she thought that she could make him into a better guy. Maybe Kronos believed that too. They had a nice honeymoon. A few weeks later, when Kronos heard that, surprise, surprise, Ray was expecting their first child, he tried to convince himself that everything was fine. He was happy. He would never be a bad dad like Oranos. It didn't matter if the baby was a boy titan or a girl titan. 
Curtis would love him or her and forget all about that old curse. Then the kid was born. A beautiful baby girl. Ray had been secretly worried her child might turn out to be a cyclops. Or a hundred-handed one. Maybe Cronus had been stressing about that too. But nope. The child was perfect. In fact, she was a little too perfect. Ray named her Hestia. She swaddled the baby in soft blankets and showed her to her proud papa. At first, Cronus smiled. The kid was not a monster. Sweet. But as he tickled her chin and looked into her eyes and made the usual cute goo-goo noises, Kronos realized Hestia wasn't exactly a titan. She was smaller than a titan baby, but heavier and perfectly proportioned. Her eyes were much too intelligent for a newborn. She radiated with power. With Kronos's understanding of time, he could easily envision what this girl would look like when she grew up. She would be smaller than a titan, but capable of great things. She would surpass any titan at whatever she chose to do. Hestia was like an improved version of the Titans. Titan 2.0, the next big thing. In fact, she wasn't a Titan at all. She was a goddess, the first member of an entirely new branch of immortal evolution. Looking at her, Cronus felt like an old cell phone staring at the latest model smartphone. He knew his days were numbered. His proud papa's smile faded. The kid could not be allowed to grow up. Or the prophecy of Oranus would come true. Cronus had to act fast. He knew Ray would never agree to have her child killed. And she'd brought those stupid lions with her as usual. He couldn't have a fight in the throne room. Besides, he couldn't reach for his scythe while holding the baby. He had to get rid of Hestia immediately and irreversibly. He opened his mouth super, super wide. Wider than he even realized he could. His lower jaw was hinged like one of those massive snakes that can eat a cow. He stuffed Hestia in his mouth and swallowed her whole. Just like, gulp, and she was gone. Can you imagine? <laughs> Ray completely freaked. My baby! She screamed. You, you, what, you, you just, what, huh? What, huh? You just, what? Oh. Wow. Kronos belched. <clears throat> My bad. Sorry. Ray Ray's eyes bugged out. She screamed some more. She could have launched herself at Kronos and pummeled him with her fists or ordered her lions to attack, but she was afraid of hurting the baby that was now stuck inside him. Cough her up, Ray demanded. Can't, Kronos said. I, uh, I have this super strong stomach. Once something goes down... It doesn't necessarily come back up. How? How could you swallow her? How? Just... Just... How? That was our child, she shouted. Yeah, um, about that. Cronus tried to look apologetic. Listen, babe. It wasn't gonna work out with that kid. Work out? You see, there, there was this curse... Cronus told her what Ornos had pro prophesized. I mean, come on, sweet cakes. The baby wasn't even a proper titan. She was trouble. I could tell. The next kid will be better, I'm sure. This sounded perfectly reasonable to Cronus, but for some reason, Ray wasn't satisfied. She stormed off in her age. 
You'd think Ray would never forgive him. I mean, your husband eats your firstborn child like a slider hamburger. Your typical mother isn't going to forget that. But Ray's situation was complicated. First, Cronus had swallowed the baby Hestia whole. Hestia, like her parents, was technically immortal. She couldn't die, even inside her father's stomach. Gross in there? Yes. A little claustrophobic? You bet. But fatal? Nah, not so much. She's still alive, Ray consoled herself. I can find a way to get her back. That calmed her down a little, though she didn't have a plan. She couldn't use force to get her way. Ray was a gentle goddess. Even if she tried to fight, most of the strongest titans, like Hyperion and that big goon Atlas, would back Cronus up. She couldn't risk a sneak attack with a knife or the scythe or even her lions because that might hurt the baby. Maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, if the kid is immortal, why is Ray worried about hurting her? But see, immortals can be hurt badly, crippled, or mutilated. An injury might not kill them, but they also don't always heal from damage. They just stay crippled forever. You see some examples of that later on. Ray wasn't about to cut open Kronos and risking chopping up her baby, because being in pieces is no way to live, especially when you live forever. Q. Oranus. She couldn't divorce Kronos, because nobody had invented divorce yet. And even if they had, Ray would have been too scared to try. Can you blame her? As you may have noticed, Kronos was one crazy piece of work. Ray had known that ever since he chopped up their dad with a scythe, and then walked around the after party in his icker-stained shirt shouting, Awesome murder, guys! High five! She couldn't run, because Cronus was lord of the whole world. Unless she wanted to jump into Tartarus, which she didn't, there was no place to go. Her best bet was to stick it out, bide her time, and wait until she found a way to get Hestia back. Cronus tried to be nice to her. He bought her presents and took her out to dinner, as if that could make her forget about the baby in his stomach. When Cronus thought enough time had passed, like three or four days, he insisted that they try to have more kids. Why? Maybe he had a death wish. Maybe he became obsessed with Oranus's prophecy and wanted to see if the next kid would be a proper titan. Or some of those horrible, too powerful, too perfect little gods. So Ray had another baby. A little girl even cuter than the first. Ray named her Demeter. Ray dared to hope. Demeter was so adorable. Maybe she would melt Cronus's heart. He couldn't possibly feel threatened by this little bundle of joy. Cronus took the child in his arms and saw right away that Demeter was another goddess. She glowed with an aura, even more powerful than Hestia's. She was trouble with a capital Tau. This time, he didn't hesitate. He opened his jaws and swallowed her down. Cue the screaming fit from Mom. Cue the apologies. Ray was seriously tempted to call out her lions, but now the stakes were even higher. Kronos had two kids in there. 
I know you're thinking it must have been getting crowded in the Titan Lord's gut. But gods are kind of flexible about their size. Sometimes they're huge. Sometimes they're no bigger than humans. I was not there in Cronus' stomach, thankfully. But I'm guessing the little immortal babies just made themselves small. They continued to mature, but they didn't get any bigger. They were like springs getting wound up tighter and tighter, hoping that someday they would get to bust out fully grown. And every day praying that Cronus wouldn't have hot sauce with his dinner. Poor Ray. Cronus insisted they try again. The next child would be better, he promised. No more swallowing babies. The third kid, also a girl. Ray named her Hera, and she was the least titanish, most godly yet. Ray was indeed the great mother. In fact, she was a little too good at it. Every child she had was better and more powerful than the one before. Ray didn't want to take little Hera to Kronos, but it was a tradition back then. Dad got to hold the baby. It was one of those natural laws that Themis always insisted on. There was also a natural law against eating your kids, but Themis was too afraid to mention that to Kronos. And so Rhea mustered her coach. My lord, may I present your daughter, Hera? Gulp. This time, Ray left the throne room without throwing a fit. She was too numb with pain and misery and disbelief. She had married a pathological liar, who was also a murderer and a cannibal baby eater. Could things be any worse? Oh, wait. He was also the king of the universe with lots of powerful henchmen. She, she couldn't fight or run away. Yeah, things were worse. Two more times she gave birth to perfect, lovely god babies. The fourth child was a boy named Hades. Ray hoped Cronus would let him live. Because every dad wants a son to play catch with, right? Nope. Down the hatch, matey. The fifth child was another boy, Poseidon. Same story. Snarf. At this point, Ray fled the palace. She wept and wailed and didn't know what to do. She went to her brothers and sisters, her nieces and nephews, anyone who would listen. She pleaded for help, begged for help. The other titans were either too scared of Kronos like Themis, or they worked for Kronos, like Hyperion, and told her to stop whining. Finally, Ray visited her sister Phoebe at the Oracle of Delphi, but sadly, even the Oracle had no advice for her. Ray ran to the nearest meadow, threw herself on the ground, and began to cry. Suddenly, she heard whispering from the earth. It was the voice of Gaia, who was still asleep, but even in her dreams, the Earth Mother couldn't stand to hear the wailing of her lovely daughter. When you are ready to deliver your next child, Gaia's voice whispered, go to Crete to give birth. You will find help there. This child will be different. He will save the others. Rhea sniffed and tried to pull herself together. <laughs> Where is Crete? It's an island in the south, Gaia's voice said. You take the Ionian Sea down to, like, Kalamata? Then you turn left and, you know what, you'll find it. 
When the time came and Ray started to get very big in the belly, she took a few deep breaths, composed herself, and waddled into the throne room. My lord, Kronos, she said. I am off to Crete. I will be back with the baby. Crete? Kronos scowled. Why Crete? Um, well, Ray said. You know how Koyos and Phoebe somehow have glimpses of the future? Yeah. I didn't want to spoil the surprise, but they prophesied that if I had this child in Crete, it would please you best of all. And of course, my lord, I am all about pleasing you. Cronus frowned. He was suspicious, but he also thought, Hey, I've eaten five kids and Ray is still here. If she were going to try something fishy, she would have done it already. Plus, by now his thoughts were getting a little sluggish. He had five young gods shifting around in his gut, fighting for space, so he always felt like he'd just eaten a massive dinner and needed a nap. I mean, five gods in one stomach? Dang. That's enough for doubles, tennis, including a ref. They'd been down there so long, they were probably hoping Kronos would swallow a deck of cards or a Monopoly game. Anyway, Kronos looked at Ray and said, You'll bring the baby to me immediately? Of course. Okay, off you go. Where is Crete? I'm not sure, Ray said. I'll find it. And she did. Once she got there, she was immediately met by some helpful nymphs who had also heard the voice of Gaia. They brought Ray to a cozy, well-hidden cave at the base of Mount Ida. The nymph stream ran nearby, so Ray would have had lots of fresh water. The bountiful forest offered plenty to eat. Yes, I know, immortals live mostly on nectar and ambrosia, but in a pinch, they could eat other stuff. Being a god wouldn't be much fun if you couldn't enjoy the occasional pizza. Ray gave birth to a healthy baby god boy. He was the most beautiful and perfect one yet. Ray named him Zeus, which, depending on who you ask, either means sky or shining, or simply living. I personally vote for the last one because I think at this point Ray had simple hopes for this kid. <laughs> Keep him alive and away from hostile stomachs. Zeus began to cry, maybe because he sensed his mother's anxiety. The sound echoed through the cave and out into the world, so loud that everyone and their titan mother knew the baby had been born. Oh, great, Ray muttered. I promise to bring the child to Cronus immediately. Now word will get back to Cronus that it's baby swallowing time. The cave floor rumbled. A large stone emerged from the dirt, a smooth oval rock exactly the same size and weight as a baby god. Ray wasn't stupid. She knew this was a gift from Gaia. Normally, you would not be excited if your mom gave you a rock for a present, but Ray understood what to do with it. She wrapped the stone in swaddling clothes and gave the real baby Zeus to the nymphs to take care of. She just hoped she could pull off the switcheroo once she got back to the palace. I'll visit as often as I can, Ray promised the nymphs. But how will you care for the baby? Don't sweat it, said Nita, one of the nymphs. We can feed him, honey, from the bees nearby. And for milk, we have an awesome immortal goat. A what now? 
Ray asked. The nymphs brought in their goat, Amalitha, who produced excellent magical goat milk in many different flavors, including low-fat, chocolate, and baby formula. Nice goat, Ray admitted. But what if the baby cries? Cronus has an incredible hearing up here on Mount Orthrus. You may have noticed this kid has a set of lungs on him. Cronus will suspect something. Nita considered this. She led Ray to the cave entrance and called out to the Earth Mother. Oh, Gaia, I know you're asleep and all. Sorry to disturb you. But could we use some help guarding this kid? Preferably some very loud help. The ground rumbled again. Three new helpers emerged, born of dirt and the spilled blood of Oranus. Like I said, that stuff got everywhere. The new guys were large, hairy humanoids, dressed in fur and feathers and leather like they were on their way to some primeval festival deep in the rainforest. They were armed with spears and shields, so they looked more like headhunters than nursemaids. We are the Korats, one shouted at the top of his lungs. We will help. Thank you, Ray said. Do you, do you have to speak so loudly? This is my inside voice, the warrior yelled. Baby Zeus began crying again. The three warriors immediately busted out some sweet tribal dance moves, beating their spears on their shields and shouting and chanting. They covered up the crying just fine. For some reason, baby Zeus seemed to like the noise. He went to sleep in the nymph Nita's arms, and the Corette stopped. Okay, well, Ray said, her ears popping. Looks like you have things under control here. She hefted her fake baby. Wish me luck. When she got back to Mount Othrys, Ray stormed into the throne room with her swaddled boulder. She was terrified her plan wouldn't work. But after so many years married to Cronus, she was learning to be a good actress. She marched right up to King Cannibal and shouted, This is the best baby yet! A fine little boy named uh, Rocky. And I suppose you're going to eat him? Cronus grimaced. Honestly, he wasn't excited about swallowing another baby god. He was full. But when you're king, you do what you have to do. Yeah. Sorry, hon. He said, I, uh, I have to. You know, prophecy and all. I hate you, she screamed. Oranus was a horrible father, but at least he didn't swallow us. Cronus snarled. Give me that child. No! Cronus roared. He unhinged his jaw and showed his extreme mouth-opening skills. Now! He snatched up the swaddle boulder and stuffed it down his throat without even looking at it just as Ray had hoped. In Cronus's belly, the five undigested young gods heard the rock rolling down the esophagus. Incoming! yelled Poseidon. They shifted as much as they could in the cramped space, and Rocky landed in their midst. This is not a baby, Hades noticed. I think it's a rock. He was observant that way. Meanwhile, in the throne room, Ray threw an Oscar-worthy tantrum. She screamed and stomped her feet and called Cronus all kinds of unflattering names. Rocky! She wailed. No! Cronus started to get a bad stomach ache. That kid was filling, he complained. What have you been feeding him? Why do you care? Ray wailed. 
I will never have a ch- another child again. That was okay with Cronus. He was stuffed. Ray ran screaming out of the throne room, and he didn't try to stop her. Eventually, things quieted down at the palace. Cronus was now convinced he had thwarted the curse of Oranus. No way could his children displace him, since he knew exactly where they all were. He was the king of the cosmos, and would never be under- overthrown. Meanwhile, Ray visited Mount Ida whenever she could. Her baby boy began to grow up, and Ray made sure he heard lots of bedtime stories about his horrible father and his five undigested siblings who were just waiting to be rescued from Cronus's gut. So you know that when Zeus comes of age, there's going to be a father-son smackdown of epic proportions. If you want a happily ever after ending for Cronus and his Titans, I would stop now, because in the next chapter... Zeus goes nuclear.